spending some time in the presence and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in essence, uh, communion embodies so many things, but this is one of the things and one of the reasons why we do this week after week after week because Jesus and the cross is the centerpiece for everything that we do here. And over the next few moments, just as we've done already in this service, we want to intentionally, individually and corporately as one, we want to commune, we want to sit, we want to think, we want to meditate, we want to talk, we want to listen to what he has to say to us. So if you would reach down into the cup holder on either side, pick up one of these communion elements, and if you just take that top clear plastic and peel that back and reveal that wafer underneath that represents his body, leave the other one in just a moment, you'll peel that back to reveal the cup which represents his blood, and these are interesting little uh, elements that we use every week but it's such a great symbol and picture of how this relationship with Jesus really works a funny looking silly little vessel that when mixed with faith can carry incredible power the life of God that's you and me so this morning I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. And this morning we want you to know that we practice open communion here, which simply means that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've given your life to Him, you believe He's Lord and Savior of all, or today you want to make that decision, you want to make that choice, you are more than welcome to come to the table and participate in this with us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 in the Message Bible, it says, When we drink the cup of blessing, are we taking into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness now listen to this part Christ doesn't become fragmented in us rather we become unified in him and perhaps just for this morning most importantly we don't reduce Christ to what we are he raises us to what he is we don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what He is. So as we participate, as we commune this morning, this is in actual fact what is happening in this room. That we become one as Jesus is one with the Father. And we are in Him. And He is in us. And we are raised to what He is. He is life. He is salvation. He is hope. He is peace. He is joy. He is eternal. He is freedom. He is everything that you need. So as you commune with him this morning, I want you to receive that. He is healing. He is freedom from sin. He is all this and more. And it's for this reason that we commit to do this. So if you will, just peel back that 
clear plastic and take that wafer and hold it up this morning. We're going to pray over it and we'll receive it together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who you sent to the earth as part of your plan of salvation from long before any of us was around. Lord, you sent him as part of your plan to redeem us, to save us, to bring us to yourself. And so today, we thank you for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for being willing to come and give yourself on the cross and suffer and die and rise again so we could be whole. Today, we remember your sacrifice and we say thank you. We put it at the forefront of our lives this morning. And as we commune with you, we say thank you for your body. In Jesus' name, let's participate together in that body. And just think about for a moment what that means. And as you commune with them, just talk to him, thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the body. Thank you for your brokenness. Thank you that by your stripes we are healed. Just peel back that second layer. It's actually easiest if you don't take it all the way off. Just hold that up to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood. Jesus, thank you for the blood. Thank you that we can be free from sin. Thank you that we have power for living a godly life. Thank you that we have all that you need because you freely gave it. You shed it on that cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the purity. Thank you that we can be washed white as snow. Thank you that as we participate in your body and your blood today, that we are not fragmented that you don't just come and separate, but instead we are unified in you, in the Father with you. We are heirs of God and co-heirs. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blood, and we receive it and remember it and actively engage it in our lives today. In Jesus' name, let's drink that cup together. back down in your cup holder let's just take a moment thank him for the blood thank you Jesus thank you for your blood given for us we receive it we receive it in Jesus name
for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified who is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, worldwide, apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. fresh and anew again. I feel like I can just kind of grab onto my salvation once again and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you died and rose again and set me free. And thank you for an opportunity to come here and to worship with so many other people that are restored in the joy of their salvation this morning. So we give you honor. We thank you for this opportunity to worship in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Why don't you turn and greet some people around you again? Maybe go find somebody new. Somebody that you haven't met, give them a handshake or a hug. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. I'll tell you what, I could have done that a lot longer. How about you? Man, I love that. The good news is, 
we get to do it a lot longer, and we'll do it for all eternity one day. It's going to be good. Uh, hey, if you are brand new to One Chapel, listen, we are just absolutely thrilled that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We want you to make yourselves completely at home. So if you want to take your shoes off, if you want to, you know, it's a theater, so you're used to probably kicking them up right up here on the seat in front of you or sticking them up here in the little slot in between. You just feel free. Enjoy yourself. Get a five-gallon bucket of Coke and a massive popcorn and come worship Jesus. It's fantastic. No, really, really we are super glad, <laughs> super glad you're here. Uh, Pastor Ross is already making himself comfortable. Um, we are really glad you're here, and we just want to say a very official welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, uh, we want to point out a couple things to you, to all of you. This morning, you, most of you should receive this worship guide as you came in. And this is just a little thing for you to know what's going on around the church and kind of help you get oriented if you are a first-time guest with us. And um, even if you are uh, have been around for a little while, uh, I guess this is what, maybe 10 services or so? 10 services since our actual launch. And so we're all kind of new. So this is for everyone. So you can look through it and find out what's going on. Why do we wear name tags? What's up with the, the music? Uh, how does child care work? All those kinds of things. Look through that when you get a chance. But the most important thing we want to highlight this morning is that connection card that should be inside. This is really the way for you to stay connected to all things One Chapel. So if you would, take that thing out. Fill it in. Maybe it's been a little while. Maybe you've been a part of One Chapel for a little bit and some of your information has changed. Um, you know, you got tired of one of those teenagers and you decided to put them somewhere else. And so you need to update your child's information on there, whatever that might be. Uh, I hope that's not the case. <laughs> and if so, send them to me because I love them. Um, so, oh, shucks. I've been a youth pastor for a long time. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Uh, so fill that thing out, and if it's your first time to be here at One Chapel, just fill that thing out, and you can drop that in the bucket as it comes by at the end of the service as we give our tithes and our offerings. We won't do anything weird, we promise. We won't show up with balloons and oversized checks at your door, although that might be nice. I wouldn't try to cash that check. Uh, those big oversized ones, I don't know if they're worth that much. But, um, but if you'd like that, you could request it. I'll see what I can do. But fill that out if it's your first time. Drop it in, and, and it'll get you um, connected. It'll be a way that we can email you and say hi and just give you a real good welcome to One Chapel, okay? Everybody got that? And then on your way out today, we'd love to just be able to get a chance to say hi to you in person. You know, it's one thing to show up and fill out a card. That's all great. It's another thing to get an email. That's wonderful. It is very much so another thing to be able to meet with some of the folks who are here at One Chapel. And so at those tables that you saw on the way in, Pastor Ross will be out there. I'll be around there. Some of the other folks who are leading the charge here at One Chapel will be out there just to say hi and welcome you. And we'd love to give you this free CD. This is some of the music that Pastor Ross has recorded, worship music over the years with Integrity Music. We'd love for you to have that, take it home, and to be able to worship all through the week with that. But more than anything, we just want to meet you and say hi, all right? Uh, let me give you just a little bit of update on some of the things that's going on around One Chapel. This week is one more exciting week. We've got an open house coming this coming Wednesday. We're going to open up the offices. 
where uh, Larry and Suzanne Foster, they've allowed us to jump into some office space that they have off of Brody Lane. Brody and Ben Garza just behind Lowe's, if you know where that is. The One Chapel offices are planting right there. It's an incredible, incredible blessing to us. And lots of meetings are going to happen there. Square One started there last week. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But on the 17th, on Wednesday night from 5 to 9, we're going to have an open house. And right around 7 o'clock, we're going to pray and spend a little time because it's Wednesday. We've got a prayer meeting on every Wednesday. We're going to spend a little time praying there. But just come, eat some food, meet some people. It's just one more way to connect and see one of the places where more ministry is going to take place around the city as that starts to happen more and more and more. In a theater, in an office space, in Starbucks, at Joe's Coffee, at Home Slice Pizza. Mm. Yeah, man. All over the city and homes going on all over. But show up on the 17th on Wednesday night, 5 to 9. We'd love to have you. And then this is really getting exciting. Coming up uh, in December on the 24th, which is, of course, Christmas Eve, we are going to have a very special Christmas Eve service right here in this theater. Now, now, <laughs> Pastor Ross is pointing out all three of us will be here. <laughs> the Parsleys will be here singing. <laughs> um, no, you know what? These Christmas Eve services, I don't know how, how many uh, you've participated in, and maybe it's kind of a family tradition where you do the Christmas Eve thing. So we were always the ones that would open up, as we were growing up, we would open up Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Uh, we'd open them all up so that on Christmas Day, you get to play all day. We don't do that anymore because my wife had a different tradition, and she won. But, but maybe you haven't been to some of these Christmas Eve services. Listen, there are two incredible things about doing this as a church family. The one is that we get the opportunity to connect together and in unity just celebrate the season together. I know you've got your individual families, and that's of the utmost importance during the holidays, but we are a corporate family in Jesus. And so to be able to gather together is a wonderful event, and it'll just be about an hour, and so we'll worship and Pastor Ross will present the gospel. He'll talk about little baby Jesus, incarnate God coming down in the flesh to give his life as a ransom for many. And so it'll be the second thing is this. It'll be a great opportunity. First is we get together together as a family. That's really important. But the second and even more importantly is that it's an opportunity for you to invite friends and family and loved ones to come and hear a very simple gospel presentation and, and experience, maybe, maybe experience church in a way that they wouldn't. Well, <laughs> that's a given. But, but to experience church, not only in the theater, but to hear about little baby Jesus and how he grew and performed miracles, how he gave his life on a cross and how he died and rose again and, and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will one day come back for his bride. It's a great opportunity for all that to happen. So keep that in mind. Mark that down. Christmas Eve, we'd love to have you come and participate. You'll hear all, all kinds of stuff about that as we move forward. All right? As I said earlier, I am a youth pastor at heart. And so uh, tonight we are hosting the first ever junior high house party for one chapel. <laughs> we had the high school house party this past Wednesday. It was incredible. We had such a great time. 
we did we did a lot of crazy stuff, but I'd say my favorite moments were when we sat down together and we started to worship. And I'm telling you, this a bunch of kids who did not know one another they very well, yet a bunch of those kids got together and they started to worship, and the presence of God just came thick and heavy in the room. It was a great beginning to student ministry here at One Chapel. There's another one tonight for all of those who are in 6th through 8th grade. It's going to be at Darren and Lori Green's house. You can jump on the blog, blog.onechapel.com, or go to onechapel.com to get the address through the blog. You can get all of that information. You can find out what that address is and make sure that you show up 5 to 7 o'clock tonight. And there's been a little bit of confusion, so let me just tell you, it's out 290, all right? We've had a couple people that apparently there's an exact same address that's like somewhere in San Antonio, (laughs) all right? So people have traveled long distances to come to the meetings and found out no one's here. And it was very awkward for that person and for the family they try to have worship with that night. So it's like, wow, there's nobody here, but here I come. So... um, so that's going to happen tonight. That will be at 5 o'clock, and we'll be done at 7. And uh, all the youth leaders are showing up at 4.30, so have everything ready and, and be ready to receive those kids when they come. And what we're doing, just so you know, we're ramping up into January. So we're having some house parties as we go, getting to know one another, getting to worship. And then we're launching into January, and uh, we'll start week, weekly meetings then. Last but certainly not least, tonight Square One continues. Last week was Church 101 where we talked about the history and the story of the church. That's the one up in the upper left-hand corner, right over there. Tonight is Essentials 201, where we will talk about some of the essentials for Christian living. And so we want to invite you, whether you made it last time or not, come on back if you made it last week. Come and hang out. It's at the One Chapel offices. And that's, again, Brody and Ben Garza behind Lowe's. Come and hang out and hear that talk tonight. And it's just one more opportunity. One more opportunity to connect with all that God is doing around one chapel. And that will start at 5.30 p.m. So you got time to drop your junior high person off and to drive on down, hit 201, finish up with that, cruise on back, pick up your junior high student, and have a great night. Ah, get up Monday morning refreshed and have a great week. <laughs> I love it. Okay? And again... All those things you can find out best through making sure you fill out the connection card so that we can get an email address from you and email that stuff to you, or uh, by looking at the blog, because the blog, the website really is kind of the place where all the static information is housed, and we're building on that right now, but the blog is where we try to keep the lifeblood of the church flowing and talking about what's going on, so keep your eyes peeled to that, all right? Can we pray over the word as we get started this morning? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that you are here, that you're doing great things in us and among us. And Lord, we receive that. Lord Jesus, today as Pastor Ross teaches us, we pray that our hearts would be open. Pray that his mouth would would be full of the word of God driven into our hearts to bring change and transformation. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. As, he, as Pastor Brent was speaking, I was, uh, he kept calling it little baby Jesus. I couldn't help but think of a uh, little eight pound tiny baby Jesus. <laughs> if you have no idea what that means, good for you. It's a, it's a movie that Pastor Brent told me about. <sighs> yes, youth culture research, right? 
Hey, I, I just, uh, before we get, jump into the word here, I just want to tell you about just exciting things behind the scenes. Sometimes one of the most difficult things about a church plant and a new church is helping people get information. That's why the blog is so important. But it's also uh, hard because you only have a certain amount of opportunity to get together and connect and, and find out what's going on. So I, I, I like to kind of include you. If you. One of the ways you can, you can know what's going on is I'm going to make a more of a commitment to uh, Twitter. I've been, uh, how many people do we have on Twitter? All three of you can come and you can follow me. No, there's quite a few there. That's, that's pretty impressive. Twitter and Facebook. My Twitter account actually uh, goes to my Facebook account, and so, um, so which, which is um, kind of pointless. But, it, but, it, <laughs> but anyway, there's lots of different ways that you can follow the blog and Twitter, and Pastor Bryn has a Twitter account. You just go and sign up. Some of you are like, I don't know what to do with that Twitter stuff. Well, it doesn't... <laughs> it, if you'll just go to the, the website, if you just go to twitter.com, it's so easy, and you can get real-time kind of information on what's going on. And so this week, so, it's, so I said all that to lead up to this, I'm going to make a more of an attempt to, to uh, commit to uh, my Twitter and, and sh- kind of sharing what's going on, but also, Dad, stop laughing. <laughs> so, so, but I said all that because this week I was out uh, attending a really awesome meeting with a bunch of pastors from the city of Austin. Pastors from all over Austin. I'm not just talking about small church pastors. I'm talking about big church pastors, small church pastors, medium church pastors, pastors and parachurch ministries of every kind. And I was in a a a five-and-a-half-hour meeting, six-hour training meeting uh, for a thing called In the City for the City in the city for the city. What I want to tell you that's coming is something so good for the city of Austin, a cooperation and coordination between the the churches of Austin that is going to be so helpful to our purpose. And make no mistake, our purpose, one chapel, when you look at John 17 and you see Jesus praying that we would all be one as he and his father are one. He said it for a specific purpose. He said that it was for the purpose of people knowing that he had come to give his life. He said, I want them to, you to make them one as we are one so that they will all believe, so that the world will believe that I was sent from heaven to earth. And so we want the name of Jesus to be promoted. We want the name of Jesus to be lifted high in the city of Austin. And that really only happens if every church commits to partner together to do it. No one church can do it. It's really true. No one church can do it. Look around. We're, we're, we're almost filled up here in this theater. Um, oh, just side note, probably going to go to something like two services January one because I don't think we can keep going this way. You get to a certain point, and it's uncomfortable, and so just radar screen, just think about it. Just accept it. Just, yes, it's okay. It's all right. We can do it. Um, so so one, no, no one church can do it, but what we do here, what we do here when we come to worship together, what we do when we share together tonight on Essentials 201, what we do when we get together in a, a group of people, in a connect group, in a home, in a, in a living room during the week, what we do when we engage in some outreach and serving events or serving activities done by each of our connect groups, when we do that, the purpose, never forget that the purpose is to proclaim who Jesus is. 
that we are the image bearers of our God. That Jesus came to show us, to demonstrate it to us, demonstrate the love of God. But make no mistake, He is renewing all things. God is renewing all things, bringing His kingdom to earth, fighting back against sin and bringing His life. And He does that best through you and through me. Through you and through me. The reason to have a church is not sitting here in this movie theater. The reason to have a church is so that we'll grow together, we'll discover who we are and who God has made us to be, and then be sent out into our city and do acts of love and kindness and care for people who will then realize, oh, you mean that's what Christianity is about? I thought it's what they said on Fox News. (laughs) No, it's something completely different. And so that's our goal, that's our purpose, and we're partnering. We're going to be partnering over this uh, coming spring with uh, a bunch of other churches to do some really cool things to make sure that everybody in our city has a clear presentation of the gospel at least once or twice a year. So anyway, it's going to be fun. I'll let you know more about that stuff. So I'm doing stuff like that. I'm doing stuff like that during the week. Um, some of you uh, are waiting on emails from me and things like that, and life has just gotten chaotic, and so I will catch up. But um, man, there are a lot of great stuff going on, and so I'm per- super excited about it. Let's, let's turn to our Bibles, and let's study the Scriptures. Are you ready? All right, get your Bible out, get your, um, get your notebook out. Um, so important to have a little piece of paper to write something down. Get a little pen. You should bring a pen with you to church. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a, a pen, there's some right here on a table right around at the bottom of the stairs, and you can pick those up. They're for you. They're for you to take. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible, and so you can pick it up on your way out or on your way in uh, when you come to church. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Speaking of our purpose, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 is where we're going to start. I think, I think it says 19 there, but let's back up to 18. Back up to 18. And here's what it says. It says, then Jesus came to them. He's talking about his disciples. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty cool statement, isn't it? All authority on heaven and in earth has been... Just think about it for a second, all right? All the authority, all right? Not, a, not some authority to dabble and do stuff. He says all authority has been given not just in earth, not just on earth, but on Mars as well. <laughs> that's that's pretty, pretty impressive. All the authority that God had, he gave to Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Jesus received this authority, but what's even more incredible is what he says next. He looks at his disciples and says, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, oh, I'm sure you've heard pastors say, whenever you see a therefore, you've got to look and see what it's, therefore. <laughs> that is a really bad preacher joke. He says, therefore, because I have authority, because I've been given all authority, I'm sharing it with you. Because I have all authority, and you've learned from me, and I've given you my name, and I've given you my words, and I've given you my spirit. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Whew, everybody look, that's, that's the hard part. <laughs> that is really the hardest part right there. All right, teaching people how to obey is what discipling is. Teaching people how to obey is much different than just telling them what the Bible says. It requires relationship and it requ- requires connection. It requires something uh, of understanding in the context of a community where we can see what God is saying and, and hear what He's saying from the Scriptures, but see it in other people, where it can be explained and unfolded to us as we share the Scriptures together, as we share in relationship together. So teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and, and I love this, and he doesn't, he doesn't leave anything out. He says, all right, I've got authority. I'm giving it to you. I want you to make disciples. I want you to teach them to obey. I want you to be together in a community of people, and I want you to help people understand how it works. And then remember... I'm always with you. I, surely I am all, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the subject this morning is a little bit unique because uh, we're on this series called I Like Church, right? Everybody say it together. I like church. It's just fun to say. Say it again. I like church. People are so negative about church. There are so many church planters that plant churches with kind of this negative mindset. You know, church is really lousy. Come to our church and it'll be so much better. I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true. That's not who One Chapel is. And so we're, we're doing this, this series called I Like Church, and we're just going through and we're putting foundation stones in place for One Chapel, for who we are as a community of believers, for what we believe about the city and the city church, what we believe about our responsibility. These are the foundational elements, and we're just taking some time to do that. And so we've talked about how church is multi-generational. We've talked about how uh, it's really, uh, there's, there's no plan B, it's plan A. For, for God and His work on the earth. Um, we've talked about how it is a, a wired for worship. And, uh, and, and now we're going to talk here today, just briefly, about how church is a safe place. Church is a safe place. Now, as soon as I say that, I know what's going on inside your minds. Ooh, that's not been my experience. <laughs> Oh, there's, there, 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 sometimes it seems as though church is one of the most unsafe places you can go. I think what we have to do is we have to build relationships in a church in such a way that it is safe for people to talk about what's really going on in their lives. We have to create a culture where people can come to church and know that they can take a risk. And it is a risk. There's no doubt. Trust always demands risk. If there's no risk, there is no trust. But there is a a risk that is taken to say, here's what's really going on. I need help. Church cannot be a place where everybody sort of comes with their nice and shiny faces and shows up and comes to church and comes through the doors of the movie theater. Oh, hi, Pastor Ross. How you doing? Oh, I'm great today. I'm blessed. And then inside, crumbling, hurting, agonizing. I think we've got to have enough relationships. We have, enough, we have, to, have, we have to be willing to allow ourselves, allow ourselves to risk coming into contact with other people who will speak into our lives, who will challenge us, who will help us change. 
And so I want to talk about two ideas that the church has really wrestled with, the big C church, that wrestles with a lot. And those two big ideas and, and are spiritual authority and biblical truth. You've heard me say over and over again that this is going to be a place where we build relationships. You've heard me say it incessantly, and you'll get sicker and sicker of it, but I'm going to keep saying it because somehow it's a difficult thing for people to open up, for people to connect. Um, It's so important for a church that's just beginning to open up and begin to to hold out a hand and bring other people along. It's so important for us to open up our lives to others and let them see what's going on. So... So spiritual authority is one of these ideas that has been um, so difficult for the church to manage because spiritual authority has been abused. We've all seen it. We've seen examples of it. But I want you to go with me for a few moments, and I want you to see how God designed authority. I want you to start. The best example of this is what we just read in Jesus. Jesus was given authority, and then he gave us authority. But I think he, he, he means to give us authority where we understand that it is delegated to us. Now, here's, here's what I want you. I want you to get this big idea. I want you to get this big idea. The big idea is delegated authority. Delegated authority. You can write that down in your notes. Delegated authority. There is um, something that we've got to settle in the scriptures. If we look at the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, we see God delegating his authority to people for incredible acts, incredible visions. He delegates authority to his people. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered? Wouldn't it be just so much easier if God would just like write in the sky and tell everybody that who he is. Just, just do something really awesome that nobody can deny, and then we don't have to do all this hard work. See, it's not, that's not the way... See, Jesus... Actually, they said that same thing to Jesus. Jesus returned to them. He said, look, they won't believe him even if somebody dies and is raised back, raised back to life. What God's plan was is to put himself into the lives and the hearts of people to make them his image bearers, to then proceed to share what he's doing in their lives with others. And so there is an authority, there's a spiritual authority that's got to go on. There's a delegated authority that we've got to accept. So if you look at Moses, Moses led the children out of Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land. That was Moses. He was delegated that authority by God. If you look all through the scriptures, there is a, uh, 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 every, every story, every pattern is God doing something, putting his spirit on a person, on a guy like Samson, who, who was supposed to carry this strength, this incredible idea, and he was flawed. And God still wanted to use him. And finally, he went through this season where it was just awful and Delilah, and you, if you know the story, I won't take time to talk about it now, but he, he ends up at the end of his life using his strength, the strength that God gave him after suffering the effects of his failure and his foolishness. And he once again becomes used by God. Being used by God, it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes I talk to people and they say, man, ministry would be so much easier if it wasn't for the people. I just feel like they're using me. And then I say to them, well, didn't you sign up 
to be used? Didn't you, didn't you pray? Like, God, just use me. God, use me for something. And then you start feeling like people are using you. This is, something's wrong here. No, that's exactly how God designed it. There's, and, there's, and there are specific delegated authorities in the Scriptures. So I want to just review that with you so you can get a picture of what I believe about spiritual authority, what I believe about delegated authority. So there's four areas of delegated authority in our society. All right, go with me here. Four areas of delegated authority in society. If we turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, go over there, Ephesians chapter 6, get, get out your Bible. It's, it's uh, way to the, to the left, almost to the end. If you get to Philippians, you went too far. This is to the right, right? That's what I meant. Often I get confused with that. I have other gifts and talents. Direction's not one of them. Um, so your other left, Ephesians 6. Um, I, want, I want you to see this, all right? So here's, here's the first area of delegated authority that God created was family, all right? Family. Family is how God designed um, our sort of our social unit, if you will. You want to say that word? It's a nice sociolog sociological term, social unit. All right, so it begins the process. Do you know that so many of us, we need to learn who we are, and how we should function, and we learn that best, and we learn that most through our family. Now, some of you have been through some really terrible experiences with your family, but that does not undo the idea that God designed the family as a place of authority. And so, let's just read it here. Let's just read this little section. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, he's referencing the great uh, Ten Commandments, right? Which, which commandment is it? Do you remember? Honor your father and mother. It's commandment number six. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may have long life upon the earth. And then it coaches the, the dads. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Parents are spiritual authorities, delegated authorities for children, for kids. Now, there's a big discussion that we can have probably at, a, at another time where we talk about when that delegated authority goes away but I, or, or how, it, how it moves, how it shifts, how it morphs. I tend to believe that it never really goes away, that you always must honor your father and mother and you must always listen to them. And some of you, that may, that may mess with you a little bit because your parents are not believers. One of the things we have to settle is that God, the way He designed, the way He set things up, He set uh, these delegated authorities up for our protection and for our provision. For our protection and our provision. And one of the things that is challenging to all of us is to be able to surrender to those delegated authorities when we don't think they're quite as good as they should be. Oh! Now, here's the problem. Are there any perfect people? There was one, and we killed him. There are no perfect people, but he raised to life again. So, so there are no perfect people, which means that God 
inherently, he knew that he's going to set up these things and he's going to give authority. Now, I, 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 I deal with a lot of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. I've dealt with a lot of them in their life. That's a very big transitional stage in their lives. And it's difficult sometimes for them to know how much they should follow their parents' wishes and how much they should kind of follow their own thing. And they want to go do this, this, this thing that that their parents may not want them to do, maybe go to a Christian college, maybe their parents aren't even believers and they really don't want them to do that and they struggle. What should I do? Where should I go? Here's the thing. It is a gray area. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I think it's so important to acknowledge and to identify the fact that God has set up these delegated authorities so that we can be protected. There is no one, now listen, there's no one who knows kids better than their parents. Can I just take a moment and tell you this really cool revelation that happened to me in the last few weeks? It was a revelation about the best way to disciple people. The best opportunity we get to disciple people, you know what it is? It's to raise our children. <laughs> yeah, the best opportunity, the best opportunity, because it has all the pieces of discipleship. It has modeling. It has instruction. It has a long tenure with it. It's, it is the best opportunity to, to, to raise kids and to disciple them into being people who follow Christ. That's the best opportunity. Now, is it any wonder the onslaught of the enemy and the devil on the family? Because it's our best weapon. And of course, even us, we, you know, I don't think families are perfect. I'm, my family isn't perfect. Um, but, we, but, we, but we are in charge of these children and we're raising them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, as the scripture says. And so our, so our job is to understand that. Now, when I asked my wife to marry me, it was quite exciting. And uh, I, I had just graduated from college, and I was working in Colorado Springs, and she was still at college. And uh, we'd had a little turbulence in our relationship. Turbulence caused by me. Uh, I was kind of an idiot. Um, I won't tell you, I'll bore you the, or I won't bore you, I won't bore you, the, spare you the boring details. So I, but I, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't really conducted myself in the best way possible, and I'd kind of hurt her feelings. And so what had happened was I won her back. Everybody say, thank God. Yeah, I, I won her back by just little by little, just doing the right thing and being honorable and doing my best. And Jesus opened her heart to me, and I'm so grateful, still 18 years later. So wonderful. Thank you. So... So I, but, but, but her dad was another story. Her dad was another story. So I had to go and I had to meet her dad. I had won her back, but I had to go meet her dad. So I went and I, I traveled down to New Braunfels, Texas, which is right down here, 45 minutes south. And I, um, I, I'm, I'm, I pulled up to the to the driveway, and Amy was with me. We'd come from Tulsa, where she was going to college. We drove in the driveway, and there was a big sign that said, Welcome home, Amy, and what's his name? <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? What is going on? And so she was like, oh, that's a good sign. That's a good sign? I mean, how bad was it? So I go in, I meet the parents, it's super awkward, <laughs> um, hello Mr. Duncan, 
<laughs> he says, let's go to breakfast in the morning. It was late that night, so we went to breakfast, and we had a good talk, and it was great, and we went through the week, and finally, I, I knew I was there. I had to tell him, my intentions are to marry this woman that I want to marry this woman. I think she's the one for me. So I went to his office, and he was a pastor of about an 800-member church, and so he had this office, and, and, and so I went to see him later that week by myself without Amy, and we went, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, sat in the, I sat down in his office. He let me in. I sat in the waiting room. You know that feeling? Oh, my gosh. I'm waiting to see him. He's in his office. So I'm waiting. I, I, I finally invites me in. I come in, and I sit in, his, in this big chair. He's got this big desk. And he sits behind the desk, and I sit down in this chair, and it's kind of like that scene in It's a Wonderful Life. Have you ever seen that scene where, um, <laughs> where what's his name? Um, Mr. Mr. Potter is sitting there at that big desk, and um, why can't I think? George, George Bailey sits down, and he sits down in that seat, and he kind of goes, <laughs> and he tries to sit up, and he can't sit up. It was just like that. So I sit there, and I tell him how much... There's how much I'm making. I'm making $1,500 a month, and I'm, <laughs> I'm telling him how I, 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 I'm, I'm apologizing for my past failures and saying that those are college boy mistakes, and I need to, I need, I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm really going to do okay. I'm going to do better. He's asking me questions. We're having a discussion. Finally, I get around to it. I say, I think she's the one. I want to marry her, and I'm asking for your permission to marry her. And I even had to go so far as to say, and I, and I thought this was right, if you decide that she's not the one for me, I won't marry her. Because you are her spiritual and delegated authority. And if you tell me not to marry her, I won't. Because I believe that that's an important bond that should not be broken. And I believe that, um, that God will speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, because I believe that families are for protection and all delegated authority is protection, I had to do that because I don't... See, here's what I believe. All you young people, when you marry a person, you don't marry a person, you marry their family. You, all of you that are older, you're like, oh, that's true. <laughs> You know that's the case. <laughs> there is no way around it. So if I start the marriage out with her dad disliking me and hating me, that's going to make my road real difficult. Oh, there's so many places we could go right now. But let's, <laughs> let's keep on track. So what happened was, so what happens is he says, well, let me pray about it. <laughs> People, this is no lie. All right, you ready? 75 days later. <laughs> 75 days later, he calls me, and I'll never forget, the phone call came, and somebody was in the house, and they said, I think it's Pastor Duncan. And I was like, I could feel all the blood drain out of my head. It was just like, oh, oh. And I was, my, my, I was like um, totally um, uh, hyperventilating. I was like, oh, oh, oh. So I talked to him. Hello? You know, when your voice kind of quivers? And he said, you know, I was not sure that you were the one for my daughter, but then I thought back about some of the knucklehead things I did when I was a kid, and God told me it was okay. Isn't that sweet? And uh, you can marry my daughter. 
And that was the second best day of my life. First day was Jesus, but you're right behind. <laughs> I think this is important for us to identify and for us to understand as families. I think churches end up being God's delegated authority to help people grow, to protect them, to encourage them. I think families are the social unit to protect kids, to raise them up, to teach them, train them what they should know. And then we've got several more. If you just throw them up there now, Casey, I'm just going to go through them real quick. You've got family, you've got church, you've got work, you've got government. Family, church, work, and government. You can put all those, all those up there. Family, church, work, and government. And what you see is God's design for how society should work. And, uh, and if you look at each, if you go through the scriptures and you begin to look at them, I'll, I'll, she's going to put them up there. You see it right there. You see the Apostle Paul teaches, he's teaching his, his son Timothy, he's teaching the Corinthians, he's, he's, he's helping them understand how they should work, how they should function. He's their spiritual authority. Um, you see here in work, the Apostle Paul is teaching people how to deal with slaves and with their, their, their bosses and their, their masters, you see that there's this thing. So let's look at these scriptures real quick, all right? Everybody go with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Well, first of all, let's go back to Ephesians 5. Let's just stay right there. Ephesians 5, and let's, let's look at this because this is about husbands and wives, all right? Can you go with me through some scripture? Everybody with me? Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Oh! For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I want you to notice that is it right there for the wives. He spends the rest of the passage teaching husbands how to do that. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the thing. Come on, husbands. This is the thing. Now, God creates this this picture, this spiritual authority. And he teaches how the church models this. If we move on to the church, let's go to, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Just by the way, in passing, I want to tell you, I think that husbands and wives are completely equal in every way. Everybody say every way. Every way, but someone must lead. Every team must have a leader. A team without a leader is chaos. They don't know what to do. So, so I think that's how God designed it. So, um, so there's, there's uh, husbands and wives. Then look at 1 Corinthians. Turn over there to chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says to the Corinthian church here in verse 15, he says, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Imitate me. And he explains how, for this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, 
whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See, the Apostle Paul understood that there was delegated authority, so he had received authority in their lives by sharing the gospel with them, and he received the place of a father in their lives. And as he received that, then he placed it in Timothy and sent Timothy as his delegated authority to speak into the lives of these Corinthian believers. And as he did that, then he encouraged them to listen to him, to, to embrace him, to accept him. If you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, go over there, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone, and then he says this little, this little parentheses, he, he gives this little side idea. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Wow, that's pretty strong. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. If you read in there, you can see deacons. There's a description for deacons, and then there's a description for the wives of deacons. Um, and, and it essentially goes through that process. Now, if you're trying to decide who to surrender your life to, Jesus, obviously, is the one, but then he delegates authority on earth. And you have to, you have to decide if you're going to offer your life, if you're going to open up your life to somebody else to speak into it. If you want the criteria for leaders and for pastors, for overseers, this is the list. If you want to know who to follow, here's the list that you can look at, and this is how you evaluate it. Now, here's the problem. So many times in the church world, there has been these violations. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. One chapel is going to be a safe place because we are not going to undo, we're not going to undo spiritual authority because of its violations. Lots of people want to. They want to undo the principle for the exception. Are you walking with me? Are you with me? They want to undo the principle. Well, what about all these things? What about all that stuff? Well, then they undo the entire principle, and now there is no more protection. There is no more guidance. There is no more connection. I don't believe in Jesus and me ministries. Jesus and me ministries is a code name for, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. I don't need to have other people speak into my lives. I got enough. Jesus has authority in my life, and that should be enough for you. See, I don't believe that. And that's why in just a moment, I'm going to tell you, well, let's just go there now. I'm going to tell you who is in authority over my life besides my parents, who I appreciate and love. There are other people that I've invited into my life that have helped plant this church. And so you need to know about me that I'm practicing the same principle that I'm asking you to practice. 
And I don't mean that it's some controlling feature, some weird thing. It's not some dynamic that I'm asking you to do everything I say or, or, or follow in my footsteps exactly as I do everything. I don't, I don't believe in that. But I do believe you need covering. I do believe you need protection. I do believe that you need direction and instruction. I do believe that in order for us to function as a family, someone's got to lead, and you've got to decide if it's okay for me to be the leader. So look at this list. I want to, I want to show you this list. So the, the list of one chapel overseers. Here they are. Brady Boyd from New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Brady Boyd is a good friend of mine. He was here the Sunday before we launched and spoke to our launch team. And it, it was a blessing, and he is a blessing. And it is from Brady Boyd that I learned about how to rest. Brady has a revelation on rest. He has a revelation on the Sabbath. And I'm, and I'm not good at it yet. But I'm learning about it. It's from Brady that I got the encouragement and the, and the courage to launch out and start one chapel. They supported us financially, and they continue to help with overseeing in my life. And then Rob Brindle, Denver United. Rob Brindle and I went through a difficult season in the history of the church where I just came from. And we were in a battle together. And this guy is such a good buddy. He's a, he's a foxhole guy. He's the guy you want in the foxhole with you when you're facing the enemy. He is incredible. Rob Brindle, Denver United. Uh, Don Duncan from Tree of Life Church. That's my brother-in-law who has really helped us. We came down here and lived in New Braunfels for a few months. And as a family member and just encouraging us, helping us financially. Britt Hancock, Hancock from Mountain Gateway. He's a missionary to Mexico. Some of you have heard him uh, speak. He's been here a couple of times. He will be back to speak. And then uh, Tom Lane from Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. Gateway uh, has supported us financially in a huge way. Um, and, and, and we're so grateful for their partnership. Now, the reason I give you these guys as names is because these are the guys that are going to look into my life, and you are going to hear from them. I'm going to invite them to come and be part of this Part of, part of our growth, part of our maturity, part of our instruction. And so I want you to know who they are. Now, what's happening right now is we're in a provisional government format, all right? So, so just don't let your eyes glaze over as soon as I say the word government, all right? We're in, a provi- we're in a provisional government stage. Brand new church, brand new group of people learning about each other. At some point, we will have elders. We will probably have trustees. We will have uh, uh, deacons. We will, we will have all those functions within the church. But as a new church, there's no reason to do that before it's time. What we have to do is learn one another. We have to grow together. We have to understand uh, how we each function. We have to be instructed, and then, and then we can find those places. We'll lead, leaders and elders will emerge from this community. I believe that. I think they already are, which is a wonderful thing. And once, once they have emerged, once leaders have emerged, once it's clear who is who, then you can start putting structure to it. And that's why there's really no point to putting in a big structure um, for a church plant. You don't know if there's going to be anything. <laughs> but I'm so grateful that there is. And you are part of that. And so I believe that there's, um, there's this, this family. Th- these guys... You would call, oops, keep them up there. These guys are my family. These guys are the people that have spoken into my life. These are the guys that have connected with me. These are the people that I submit to and have power to come in and speak. And so that's why I think church should be safe. We should all be submitted to somebody 
who can correct us. We should all be submitted to somebody who can say, "Mm, this isn't quite right. You need to consider this. Don't undo the principle because there's been some abuse, but what we need to do is hold our leaders and hold our authority figures to a standard, all right? Just one more, one more little passage. Let's go to work and government real quick. Work is Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Go over there to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Oh, I want you to just stop for a second and think about the fact that these are not employees, but it is sort of our picture of what was happening in that environment. There's a, there's a picture of how we treat those who are supervisors over us, who are in charge of what we're doing. And some people think that because this is listed, somehow it, it was a, a, a nod to slavery, that it condoned slavery. That is not the case. What the gospel was trying to do was it was going into every social economic sphere. And so they had Christians who were at the top of the social chain and Christians who are at the bottom of the social chain. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to do is help them understand how to live in community together even though they weren't in the same social group. Are you with me? So he says here, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? Say it out loud. As working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then this little passage right here, verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. What he's saying here is, okay, let's say you do get mistreated. Guess what? You can trust in a God who is bigger than that mistreatment And you can know that that judgment is going to come. There is a judgment that is coming. And because you know that, that should make you have some confidence. Now, the violations that we've seen, I think we've got to deal with them. When there is a violation of abuse, then I think you've got to undo that authority. However, the way you do it, the way that you do it is so important. And we can learn... From David and Saul, the story of David, waiting. He'd already been crowned king. We'd already, we, we see him running around the wilderness with Saul chasing him, trying to kill him. <laughs> trying to kill him. And he, he gets a chance. He gets two chances to kill King Saul. And he chooses not to. He leaves that up to the Lord. We see the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are fighting against the, the idolatry of Nebuchadnezzar. And what happens in the, in the story? As they fight against and they say, we're not going to bow down to this idol, he throws them in the furnace. And they live. A miracle happens because they choose to resist the authorities that were. God saves them. But they do it with humility. They do it with honor. They do it in a way that honors what God has already set up. They take the punishment. Now... Here's the way that you know the only reason that we should disobey delegated authorities would be if they're forcing us, forcing us to violate the command of God's word. God's word. God's word is our final authority. And if they're asking you to violate 
something in the Scriptures, something you know to be right from the Scriptures, I think you have permission. Now, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if, you, if it's not a violation of the Scriptures and it's a personal preference, then there's a whole nother series of conversations that probably has to take place. Because what we're talking about here is relationship. What we're talking about here is how, uh, how spiritual authority is supposed to work. One last passage, and then we will, we will go. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Oh, we missed our government passage, didn't we? Bummer. Uh, I think we should just, you should just trust me that God, um, trust me and read Romans 13. Romans 13 is, uh, is, is the uh, government passage where it talks about how, how God institutes government authority. Mark 10, verse 42. Here's, here's Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples. He says, uh, that Jesus called them together, his disciples, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's describing how the world works. The world works with authority, not so with you. Everybody just read those words, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what you have to see. Jesus was given all authority on heaven and earth. Jesus tells his disciples, look, here's how you wield that authority. Here's how authority is supposed to be taken care of. That the only way that authority really works and does not become abusive is when the person who has the authority will use it to serve the people around him. When the person who has authority serves another, then delegated authority is safe and secure. When a person who has authority will think of it, not in terms of being on top and in charge, and you do exactly what I say, we will think about it as being on the bottom and looking up and serving as Jesus did. Because Jesus, the king of all the universe, the one who had all authority in her, heaven and earth, says to his disciples, he says, let me show you how it works. I have all authority, but I'm going to use it to serve all of mankind. I'm going to use the authority I was given to give my life away to become the atoning sacrifice for sin. I'm going to serve all of mankind to the best of my ability. I'm going to go down to the bottom, and I'm going to look up, and I'm going to serve all those who are above me. If you want to be a great leader, you've got to be a great servant. Uh, we all know that. But I want you to see that this is God's design for delegated authority. This is how I'm going to function as a pastor. This is how connect group leaders are going to function. This is how you should function as a person in your work when, when you oversee others. This is how you should function in your family. When you see your kids and they're struggling, your job as a parent is to serve them. Sometimes that means discipline, but it's serving. It comes from a heart of serving. It comes from an attitude that says, I've got to serve them so that they'll get better, so that they'll understand what they're supposed to do, who they really are. That's the point. 
That's why church can be a safe place. Church can be safe because God has delegated His authority and we all use it to serve one another. As we look at that, you've got to kind of decide where you want to be in that. If you want to be a great leader, if you want to be a great person who is, who is in charge and has spiritual authority and who has delegated authority from God, begin to serve. And you will find that He'll begin to give you more and more because great followers become great leaders. Great followers become great leaders, and I want all of you to become leaders, all of you, to lead somebody. Even if you're just leading them to Christ, I want you to be a leader. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness, your word, the illumination of the scripture. Thank you for uh, how it's caused us to think. It's caused us to evaluate. It's caused us to consider what you're doing and what you're saying to us. Lord, I thank you that you have spoken into people's lives and to the hearts of people. And I, I, I just want to take a moment now to pray for my brothers and sisters. And I want to ask you to do something in their hearts. Now, every eye closed, every head bowed, just want you to just consider what Jesus may be saying to you. Maybe a, a repair of a relationship in your family where there's been delegated authority, but you've got to repair it. Maybe there's a disappointment with church and you've got to settle that. Maybe someone who has been over you has hurt and wounded you. Someone who spoke into your life has, has wounded you and, and you... You've become withdrawn. You've become apprehensive about taking the risk, about trusting anyone again. Jesus wants to heal that today. Jesus wants to tell you that it's okay. He can heal the brokenhearted. He can heal those who are hurting. He can make you safe and secure. That's what church is supposed to be. That's what his body is supposed to be. That's what his people are supposed to be. So he wants to touch your heart. If you've been disappointed, wounded, there's something you need to fix. You're realizing, I've got to make this right. Maybe you've been in charge of some people and, and, and you've mistreated them. You've been the overseer and you haven't, you haven't treated them with dignity or with respect. Been too harsh on them. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you need to start again to be the parent that God wants you to be. If you're here in this room and Jesus is speaking to you and he's speaking to you about a specific instance or a specific situation and you know you need to respond to him and say, yes, Lord, I'll fix it. Yes, Lord, come and heal me. Yes, Lord, help me to do this well. Then I just want you to lift your hand in the air. Just lift it up right where you are. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Just as it's a sign. It's really a sign to God. It's a sign of action that says, yes. Yep, I see your hands everywhere, everywhere, all over the place. So many people ready to say yes to you. Now put your hands down on Jesus. I pray that you would give them grace. I pray that you would give them the strength that they need to speak to the people they need to speak to, to make things right, to apologize for wrongdoing, for, uh, to, to, to apologize and, and ask forgiveness for moments of misbehavior. Lord, I pray that you'd help them, the ones who are hurt and wounded disappointed with people who have led them. Father, you would touch them today. Touch them right now in the name of Jesus to give them peace and strength and help to find their way to safety, to find their way to risking again, to letting others into their lives. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus.
you would help all of us to become the people you've called us to be. You've asked us to be. Work in our hearts. Work in our lives. Bond us together like the church that you want us to be. One people unified in one purpose. We thank you for this. Thank you for healing. Now just palms up. Everybody just put your palms up. They're kind of on your lap like this. And just thank, just receive from the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We receive from you. We receive your work. We receive your word. We receive your, your way. We receive your instruction. We receive your healing. Your healing. One more thing I want to do is I want to ask if there's anybody here who feels like they need to put their lives in line with the authority of Jesus one more time. Maybe you've been away from Jesus for a long time. Maybe you haven't followed him. Maybe you haven't ever had a real relationship with Christ and you're here this morning. Somebody brought you or you're wandered in and you're, 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 you're hearing this and you're listening to it and all the while you feel like, the, like God is speaking to you and he's pulling on you. He wants you to follow him again. Is there anybody here who says, I want to follow Jesus? Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, you say, I want to follow him. I want to give my life to him today. If, you, if that's you, would you just... Nobody looking around. Would you just lift your hand up in the air? Anybody here in this room? Anybody here? Yep, there's one. There's two. I see two. I see three. Anybody else? I see four. Is there anybody else? Five. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So good. Such a good decision. Such a great decision. Let me let me pray with you, and I want to ask you to pray with me. Because um, the words we say, we say them way too often and don't really mean them. What you're doing when you pray with me is you're expressing your faith. The words aren't the point. It's the faith inside your heart that makes the difference that says, I want to follow Jesus. So everybody pray with me. Repeat these words after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I want to follow him. His plan is better than mine. Forgive me for my failures. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my foolishness. I give my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to make you Lord and Savior, Master, my friend. Jesus, work in my life. Change me. Make me a new person so I can be all that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would just watch over every person who's prayed that prayer, who has prayed with me. Father, I pray that you would cause them to be renewed and regenerated and to know that you are healing them and strengthening them and calling them to yourself. Lord, we thank you for doing your work here today. We thank you for for communicating your heart and your life and all that you want for us. We thank you for this and we choose to follow you from this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's thank God for what he's doing in people's lives. It's really good. It's really good. Hey, um, we're going we're gonna to give up our tithes and offerings as the last thing we do in worship today. And so um, if you're here for the first time, we certainly don't expect you to give. But all of us who've called, new, or called One Chapel, my, who've called One Chapel, stop, who've called One Chapel their home, their family, chooses to give of their, of their finances to promote the work that God is doing. And so, um, so 
get ready to give. And we uh, certainly don't expect you to give here tonight, today if you're new, but, but we want to give to the Lord to express to Him how much we love Him, how much we worship Him, how much we believe that it all belongs to Him. And we're just giving something to make sure that His kingdom continues to be built in this location called One Chapel, all right? So uh, stand with me and let's pray. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and kindness, for your love and, and, and just truth being resonating in our hearts. Lord, we want to give to you because we worship you, because you are who you say you are and you do what you say you'll do. So Lord, teach us, help us, strengthen us as we give to you to, um, to just build your kingdom. Use what, we, use what we have to build your kingdom in all kinds of places throughout this city and throughout the world. We love you and we honor you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord while we give. Chapel House. Uh, we'll see you there tonight if you want to come to Essentials 201. Remember, tonight is also the junior high meeting. Yes, for tag. Love it. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys next week. We love you.
Cry. 